Welcome, and here, here. This is Here, Here, my audiobook podcast. I'm Dan Masterton, and I'm reading to you from my fiction story, What There Is to Be Done. I'm excited to share this with you one chapter at a time. If you're interested in getting your hands on a paperback copy of the book, visit my link tree at linktr.ee slash danmasterton. That's l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e slash danmasterton. Just follow the directions and complete the form, and I'll send your copy. You can also check out my other writing there. If you're interested in reaching out, I'd love to hear from you. Find me on Twitter at thisladdan, or drop an email to dmastert at alumni.nd.edu. All right, you hit play, so it's time to hear here. If you're driving or running or working, I'm glad to be along with you. Maybe grab a drink later? If you're somewhere safe, raise a glass and toast a blessing to our Catholic schools, our students and teachers, and our imperfect but faithful endeavor to teach the faith. I'll join you. Here, here. Cheers and enjoy. Duke's email, Teresa's joyful lunch crew, and the first impression of Sister Laura propelled Teresa forward with some momentum and positivity. Most of the time, Teresa could weather stormy days pretty effectively, balancing some immediate confrontation of challenges with some self-pledges to reflect more later. On the other hand, she was delighted that today she could just ride the positive wave of palpably good things unfolding right in front of her. Teresa's specific commitment to charity, to presence, to peace, it was paying off with steadier days and greater joy for the especially excellent moments that came along. Cruising on that momentum helped redouble her positive attitude as she tackled her afternoon. First, she met with the teacher who moderated Freshman Student Council. Elections went smoothly and yielded a solid and promising slate of students to be their first leaders for their class. Teresa had some thoughts about trying to integrate first mentions of student council into freshman orientation and ways to use older students as pitchmen, from grouping students on freshman orientation staff by interests and clubs for various parts of the experience, to asking some older students to make a promo video of the previous year's student activities and elections. The teacher was excited to have a fresh take that was constructive and progressive, so Teresa floated a trial balloon about a house system. Her moderator definitely didn't shoot it down. She was ex- had expressed some concern about the buy-in and ramp-up, but she thought the idea was dripping with potential. Teresa chalked it up as a win. Next, Teresa was meeting with the dean, the lead technology teacher, and the admissions director about setting clearer, universal social media norms. Teresa hadn't seen anything definitely troubling, but she felt like some under-regulated areas left room for potential issues. The school had a central account on each major social platform that did a lot of sharing of the micro-accounts around school, and Teresa liked how the smaller accounts could have really specific, narrow messages just for their immediate members, as well as major announcements and advertisements that the school could help spread further and wider. She just had some trepidations about students having direct access to posting on some of these smaller accounts sometimes even without an adult or moderator also having the password, and about the lack of a centrally maintained and distributed usage guide. She didn't necessarily want to make it a turf thing and put it under her purview, but she did want to start a conversation and be a central part of it. The hour was only enough to get some brainstorming started, but Teresa's main points were well-received. The group started working towards school-wide policies and agreed to invite their athletic director, who ran the account with the largest following, to join the second installment of their work. Good stuff. Finally, Teresa looped back to the offices to see their bookkeeper. 
She had a particularly specific request that was definitely particular to her experience, but one she had also heard similar beefs about from colleagues. When a moderator agreed to a stipend, the amount was paid in a lump sum in the first check following the conclusion of the season or peak activity period. In the case of those leading year-round clubs, this meant they didn't see any money until the year was over. The same went for moderators of spring-only groups. Also, no matter the timing, that stipend, even if only $500 or $1,000, jacked that one paycheck way up, which jacked up the taxes, which were figured based on that check being 1 24th of your salary. Teresa wanted to see if she could break the stipend up across several checks, maybe even every two weeks during the period when the club operates. The bookkeeper tossed out some issues. Moderators often aren't assigned until the last minute or change frequently. Payroll gets too complicated to be making several changes to each pay period. Breaking up the money into smaller pieces makes a lot of extra work. Also, what would happen if a moderator backed out after payments began but before their work was finished? Teresa offered two suggestions. First, if she could submit a set of assigned contracted moderators with contracts in spring, could those folks at least be assured of incremental pay for the following year? Second, what if the chunks were just quarterly, added to one check per quarter instead of broken up into as many as 24 different payroll periods? Her bookkeeper was intrigued and thought, as long as the right clawback language could be spelled out, that the office could probably make it happen. Teresa was loving this groove. So far, she had found that if she reached out to people, suggested topics and times for meetings, and came with a readiness to listen and then offer suggestions and solutions, things would go pretty smoothly and show a likely path toward positive adjustments. This afternoon was another great affirmation of that diligence. Teresa returned to her office, almost like a hunter after a great outing, but without the ghastly baggage of killing for sport. Just as she sat down to open her laptop, there came a friendly knock at the door. Mrs. A, Mike started, speaking in an intentionally punchy cadence. What's happening today? Good things, Mike. Good things. Mrs. A is having a day, Teresa smiled, putting her feet on her desk for cartoonish effect in a rather stately fashion. Surprised you still have your shoes on, Mike quipped. Teresa sneered at him. What's going on with you? Well, the dust has seemingly settled on another new year. Teachers are teaching. Students are learning. The excitement and angst of the year's beginning has given way to its routine. Mike waxed. Now we do what we do. Teresa nodded. This inflection point always came after a few weeks. And sure enough, even while straddling the teaching and administration worlds, she had noticed it too. Students, especially freshmen and sophomores, seemed to be less lost in the hallways during passing periods. The steady stream of teachers storming into the admin wing with New Year problems had abated. The main lobby and gathering points for students started to show the same faces in the same after-school spots each day. The relative chaos of newness had faded to the humdrum rhythms of everyday school life. Nature was healing. Teresa continued, Remember when what I do was just going to be this? I do. But it doesn't linger with me or weigh so heavily anymore. I still have my beef with the handling and delivery of it, but the day-to-day work is the focus now, and I'm in it the way I want to be in it. None of this forgive and forget garbage, but definitely the peace and presence approach I want. I hear that, Mike agreed. You know, it does linger for me, at least in a way. I've seen so many iterations of the ramp up to a new year. There's been plenty of different twists and turns, lots of curveballs to hit. But the combination of things that lurked last year and the ways in which we didn't know and still don't know the how and why of it, that sticks with me, he admitted. Mike took a beat. He wasn't choking back tears. He wasn't angry but Teresa could sense the bit of emotion in his assessment. She let the moment breathe until Mike picked up the thread himself. 
I had it in my head to be really proactive about the job reviews and really push Francis forward. I thought I could use my place as chairperson to get the ball rolling, and I did, but I realized I mostly did it to recommend you and get you to the top of the pile. Thank you, Teresa interrupted, looking right down the barrel toward him with slightly raised eyebrows to where he was still standing just inside the doorway. She was sincere and needed him to know it, even though she had thanked him for this thing exactly several times before. She didn't mean to derail his reflection, but she needed him to know that meant a lot to her and continued to mean a lot to her. You are, of course, welcome, Mike replied. He then went on. Getting you to the top of the pile, but also to get myself a break with gritting. I was tired of the bleed over into my summer vacation, and a lot of my motivations were selfish. That can get lost when things turn out well for oneself and for others, but when things get muddled, it lays bare the intentions a bit more. I don't like the selfish look I had with all that. So I actually came in here wanting to start talking this out with you, both as a teacher and an administrator. I want to do better, do more, to earnestly and honestly try to preempt as much of that opacity and feet-dragging and trouble as we can, Mike said, pointedly. Teresa was delighted. Mike was savvy, experienced, effective, but he was hardly an activist. His style was strong and quiet, staying organized and managing his team without much fanfare. If no one really noticed him in his department, that was in many ways the highest compliment Mike wanted to receive. Almost nothing he did would draw attention to himself, and his only concern was that his teachers respected him and felt he did his best to advocate for them and support them, though he had no trouble discounting folks who wrote him off without charitably giving him his due chance to do what he could. This is great, Mike. I'm all for it. What do you have in mind? Teresa asked. We'll get back to the book shortly, but first, do your Catholic dad, Catholic uncles, Catholic coaches and teachers, and old Catholic priests just relentlessly batter you with horrible Catholic jokes? Well, now you can get them back, or even get them first, with the Gronin Catholic Joke Book. Full of quick hitters like, how do you make holy water? Boil the hell out of it. What do you call a nun in a wheelchair? Virgin Mobile. What do you call a parishioner who sleepwalks? Roman Catholic. How does Moses make his coffee? He brews it. Who's the patron saint of carbon copy on emails? St. Francis of Assisi. What's it called when Batman leaves church early? A Christian bale. What's Poseidon's favorite kind of mass? The trident teen right. The fun never stops. What do you call the lettering on a baptism invite? The baptismal font. I'm not on Instagram, and I'm a selective poster and moderate lurker on Facebook, where I share the Restless Heart blog posts. But I'm most active on Twitter, where I actually really enjoy the Catholic presence of many thoughtful and faithful people. I want to recommend a few of my favorite follows to you here. This week, I invite you to follow Liz Brunig. Liz tweets at ebrunig, E-B-R-U-E-N-I-G. Liz is a staff writer at The Atlantic. Her Twitter bio sums her up nicely. Christian, mother, avid partisan of humankind, usually joking. In addition to her in-depth threads on her baking adventures and her true life peaks at all the goofiness of family life with her husband and kids, Liz essentially is a modern philosopher using Twitter to question, confound, and delight. Liz wears her heart on her sleeve and will hit you with an enjoyable mix of empathy, wisdom, and humor. In some ways, she's like the queen of Catholic Twitter. Give her a follow and see. Liz tweets at ebrunig. E-B-R-U-E-N-I-G. I'm not sure exactly what I'm able to do yet, but I don't want to sit back and just hope this year will be better. 
I want to try to engage Frances a bit more often, make offers to help her with whatever, even if that leads to nothing. I think I may volunteer to proctor the entrance exam, just to see what kind of turnout there is, and if the admissions folks have any reactions or share anything on the day of the test. And I'll definitely push for job reviews to start as early as is reasonably possible. Maybe keep up with the other department chairs between our big group meetings to try to keep us all on the same page and push the group to be collegially proactive, Mike suggested. I like it. I like it, Teresa said. Any sense of what you think you may be able to do, Mike asked. I think my contribution is going to be on the front end. Try to boost our outreach and exposure to jumpstart the admissions numbers a bit. I want to try to work with our growing social media policy to engage our partner schools that feed us most of our students. Even if it's just tagging them in posts more often or highlighting students on my accounts with a special emphasis on their middle schools and junior highs, I want to build up a process by which we make simple but up-to-date videos of student life each year, maybe even each semester or quarter. I think those become easily shareable, linkable, postable plugs for social or for our school website. I also want to get more involved with admissions. I think we can thicken up our student ambassador program with some better training and prepare students to be good supplementary connectors for us. There's a lot of ground we can gain if I commit some admin time to supporting admissions, and if they're interested in my help and coordination, Teresa hoped. Mike was nodding, a bit wide-eyed. They both had an idea of what they could do to stabilize the school and to try to firm up the ground beneath everyone's feet, but there still remained the task of trying to actually do it. Neither of them were afraid of it, but they both acknowledged the extra work it involved and the risk that their efforts might not accomplish anything while inviting extra stress and time into their work lives, not to mention differences of opinion or even apathy among the faculty, staff, and admins. You gotta figure it's worth a shot, right, Mike asked? I do. I just don't feel there's much value in a defeatist mindset. I don't enjoy wallowing, even if there's something legitimate to wallow in. I need a good vent every now and then, but now feels like the time to think and act. I'm glad you're thinking the same thing, Teresa replied. I am, but I have to say, it made it easier to adopt this mindset knowing that you were probably already thinking this way. And I bet, I hope, there's a handful more throughout this building who are on this wavelength too, Mike added. Teresa let out a deeper exhale. There better be. We didn't get into Catholic education because it's cushy, she joked. But most of us are here because we want to do more than just teach. I just wish it didn't have to be bootstrapped so hard. Feels like we're shoestringing it almost all the time. We should keep doing this, right? We should try to find idealism and weather the storms. We're not enablers or crazies. I hate false binaries, but I think in your work mindset, if you're not agitating for growth and reform and development, then you're probably spiraling towards cynicism or worse. And I don't think the latter is a good look, especially on me. If I got cynical, I'd be a bad teacher, a bad chairperson, and someone who should get out of teaching. And that's probably true for most of us, Mike observed. And we're definitely crazies. Yeah, I hear that. I definitely get the pull to get jaded and perennially flustered. The feelings are real. But when I see people going down in that muck, they just come off as annoying or disheartening or sad or even toxic. Like, I want to admit my frustrations and be real with the disappointment, but not any more than will help me and the places I serve going forward, Teresa continued. I need to know that I'm not being a total doormat or an enabler of manipulative or exploitative practices. So this year's curveball pushed me closer to that boundary than I like, but I don't feel like anything in that process has quite crossed that line. And I want to be part of the pushback that makes good on some venting and complaining by responding with action, Teresa finally declared. And I think we're only stronger together, and hopefully with more colleagues tagging in too. Mike drank it all in for a second. 
There was some enormity in all this that needed to be acknowledged, but the unfolding solidarity was the deep and joyful good clearly present in the moment. We do what there is to be done. I don't think we're fighting a villain or adversary. There's no civil war. We're just trying to draw a light to some institutional weakness and grow it into a strength, Mike suggested. We teach the kids, we teach each other, and I guess we're going to be trying to teach the leadership a bit too. Glad you're part of it. I think we can do this well and do it the right way. We do what there is to be done. We do what there is to be done, Teresa agreed. Mike nodded a few times, kind of vigorously, as if to pump himself up a little bit to leave and be propelled forward by their chat. All right, Mrs. A. Onward and upward, Mike said as he turned to leave. As he began to walk away from her doorway, he blurted, Surprised your shoes are still on? Teresa smirked toward him, though he was long past eye contact. How does he notice this stuff, she thought. Teresa closed the door. It was past 4.30. The hubbub of the after-school business had long dissipated. Now the admin wing was pretty quiet, and she decided to double down on that dynamic by closing her office for business for the day. She actually had a late meeting planned to engage the admission director on some of the things that had organically come up elsewhere today. Handy timing. But that wasn't until 5.30. So for now, Teresa used the privacy to sit down at her desk, kick off her shoes, and call her husband. There was much to be done that had been done, and yet still a bit more to do today. The flow of grace had not grown stagnant, and her community life was fueling her to do all that needed to be done for her school community and the church, for her husband and marriage, and for herself. Well, that's all for this week. Remember, if you want to grab a paperback copy of the book, visit my link tree at linktr.ee slash danmasterton. That's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash Dan Masterton. Just follow the directions and complete the form, and I'll send your copy. You can also check out my other writing there. Finally, thank you for listening. May God bless you and all our Catholic school communities. And to you and your prayers and toasts, hear, here. The guitar instrumentals on this podcast are improvised and performed by Jason Pham. This book and podcast are copyright Dan Masterton 2021, all rights reserved.